number you have dialed has been changed. The new number is... Welcome to the Stuart Knight Show, where interesting, intriguing, and exciting people engage in unscripted exchanges of ideas, stories, and perspectives. It's not an interview. It's a powerful conversation. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Stuart Knight Show, where I am lucky enough to be able to have conversations with super interesting individuals who are doing incredible things uh, in their own field. And today, I am really happy to let everybody know that I have got somebody who's quite different than a lot of the people I've had in the show in the past. Everyone's always been successful in their own way, but uh, Jesse is definitely successful in a, in a field that is not as common uh, as many of my other guests. Uh, to give you a bit of background, Background on Jesse. He's a futurist, researcher, he's an artist, a public speaker, and he's based in good old Lanark County, Ontario, in the country of Canada. He owns and operates MetaViews Media Management Limited, which focuses on research and consulting around new media business models, automation, artificial intelligence, and the strategic use of social media. He's also a co-founder of the Academy of the Impossible, which is a peer-to-peer lifelong learning and intelligence network. And on top of all of this, lucky for me, I get to call this dude a friend of mine. Jesse Hirsch, welcome to the show. Always a pleasure. Yeah, are you excited to have a conversation with me like that does not require, you know, you and I sitting in a Starbucks over coffee and teas? Any conversation with you is always a highlight of my day, if not my life. <laughs> wow, you've already answered the first question correctly. <laughs> <laughs> so what, I, 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 and I kind of felt like when I was writing down a few questions I wanted to ask you, there's a part of me that was feeling almost, it was ironic, it was a bit um, guilty because I know that almost all anybody who ever wants to speak to you about is technology. Um, and I hope that somewhere in here we get to go into things that are not technology, innovation, or AI-based. But how can someone speak to you and not go down that path? Because uh, especially for my listeners, they don't normally get the chance to speak to somebody who has your level of expertise. So I'm going to jump into technology first, and, and maybe later on we'll, we'll spin into um, your love of goats and things like that at the end, <laughs> <laughs> which, which people think is a joke, but it's not. Um, so... Right now, first thing I wanted to do was I, I thought we'd, we'd, we'd start on maybe a um, slightly depressing, morbid note. Uh, what, what are you scared about when you think about technology? Because I know you're the kind of guy that's always, I don't know, you're, you're, a, great, you're a great positive thinker. You're, 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 you're not pessimistic about the future for the most part, from when I speak to you anyway. But there's got to be something in, in when you think about technology that makes you go, holy shit, I'm like, I'm nervous about that. You know, what is it that makes you kind of think, oh boy, I'm, I'm a bit scared? Oh, it's, it's funny you ask. I, I think my gut answer is fear. I'm afraid of other people's fear of technology. Okay. But, but more specifically, I think it's mythology. Mm. I, I fear that the mythology of technology will prevent us from using these tools responsibly and instead will allow other people to use these tools abusively and to use these tools in really dangerous and harmful ways. So, mm. I mean, you know, that that's what motivates my work is is the fear of the mythology of technology and, and a real desire to fight that mythology, to demystify technology so that people can see it for the tools that it is and, and use those tools to make a better world. So is it as simple as when you say the mythology, is it the one that, that comes to mind for me is that people are just afraid to just use it because they just think it's too complicated? 
Yes, absolutely. The the disempowerment that many people, because they fear technology, because they don't understand technology, that it 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 becomes mystifying to them. Mm-hmm. But I also mean it in in the 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 the, the, the larger sense of fear. That because we don't take the time to understand technology, we don't realize how other people use it. Uh-huh. And we don't we don't realize the way it can be sort of abused. So it is it I always bring it back to politics and democracy. You you need an informed citizenry. You can't have people being ignorant and full of fear, especially when it comes to the important technological questions of our day. And so it's it's really the the quest of an educator. It's it's the quest of a philosopher who's trying to provoke people into seeing technology differently so that they can be empowered, not just to use it, but to make decisions about how it should be used as a as a society, as a world. And and that is what consumes a lot of my time and thoughts. <laughs> so, well, one of the th- things that crosses my mind when you say that and then and then starts scaring me is First of all, I never really kind of thought about the comparison between um, the importance of us having a good understanding of technology because of the humongous role it plays in our lives uh, in comparison to us really fully understanding politics um, because these are the individuals who are making big decisions on behalf of uh, the citizenry. And the part that scares me is that, gosh, every single time there's another election, I'm always baffled by how many of my peers who are... I believe educated and astute and 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 worldly, um, and how little they know about each um, politician's platform or each party's platform. They might know the top two or three things that well. These guys are anti-abortion. These guys are not. These guys are a bit more religious leaning. These guys are a bit more left leaning. But besides that, they have no idea what their people's uh, perspectives are on the you know the the the. the the more nitty gritty details of someone's um, platform. So, if and that's been true for years. So, does do we do you have hope that all of a sudden people are going to act differently compared to the way they do with politics and start actually engaging more in technology? Yes, absolutely. I, I have uh, incredible hope, e- even faith in in the human being and and the human mind mm-hmm. and the ability for humans to think for themselves and to think critically and and make the right choices. But I kind of feel that we live in in a world we we live in a surveillance society that is ripe with manipulation that that people are being are that attempts to manipulate us are coming at us at all times at all mm. points of the day usually in the form of advertising but my concern with technology is that we treat it as if it's magic <laughs> rather than just being a tool mm, okay. right because it if we treat technology as a tool then that that usually means that it empowers people, that it helps people, that it whether it helps you with your work or helps you with your life or your home. When technology does that, we are empowered, and I think the, the world is a better place. But the opposite is when we treat technology as magic and we say to ourselves, well, I'm not a wizard. I can't <laughs> use this magic. Then it's disempowering. Then we don't understand how it works, and that's when people can manipulate us. That's when people can take advantage of us. So part of what I like to do as a wizard is sort of teach people, no, it's not magic at all. And not only that, it's really easy to learn. So instead of them being fools who can be manipulated, they become wizards who are then powerful and are then able to make the most of their lives. And so to bring it back to politics, 
I think when people are couch potatoes who just surf politics as if it's entertainment, you know, th that's when democracy fails. Mm -hmm. But when people are motivated to get active about an issue or to get active in, in the, the, the broader debate of politics, then that's when democracy is healthy and, and, and we know we've got each other's backs. So it's interesting that you say this because I hadn't quite seen the comparison between what you're saying and, and, and the work that I do. And as, as you know, and many people listening to this podcast know, uh, what I do is I, I quite often go into corporations, and not just corporations, I do this in the public sphere as well, and teaching people the importance of building powerful human relationships by asking kinds of questions that will allow an individual to be vulnerable and to connect with you on a deeper level. And I have ex uh, experienced the same thing that you've experienced, which is people think that what I'm able to do in a conversation is magic, that somehow <laughs> I have some unbelievable ability that I was born with that can make people open up. And I really try to do the same thing you do, which is to teach them that it's not magic and that it's just something that you have to um, just have faith in that you can learn as much as anybody else. Now, but hold on. Here, here's the paradox in that it's not magic, but it is magical. Yes. Like you, you totally converted me. Like, you know, the, the first time I heard you talk, you know, at, at first I was a little skeptical because it is really self-evident. Like there, there's, you know, the, your, your message while <laughs> profound is very accessible. Yes. But, you know, as it sunk in and as I started practicing it everywhere I went, whether it was the cashier at a store, you know, or the, the, the client that I'm developing a relationship with. Mm hmm. It is magical and and it is profound in the way that it brings out the best in people. Right. But but to your point, it's not magic because you can teach other people to do it. Exactly. And then they themselves can practice it and take it forward. And that's the analogy with technology that for people who don't understand it, it is magical. It does accomplish amazing things like airplanes are <laughs> Phenomenal. They allow <laughs> us to travel great distances, but the science behind it is actually pretty straightforward. Right. And, and I, I think that's why the, the, the mythology is so dangerous. That's why the focus on magic rather than the respect of the magical is, is an interesting distinction that I, I think really speaks to where we are in history right now in terms of having all this power but not necessarily using it responsibly. So do you think then that the next generation will not see it as being as magical simply because it is something that they have had access to since day one? And, and, I, and I say this as a person who was speaking to a guy recently, and he's 60 years old, and he has to finally do something really big on the computer, and, and I, I couldn't believe it. This guy's been a teacher for 25 years, and uh, maybe even longer, and, and he said that he was just learning how to use Microsoft Word. And I was just baffled by that. And what I found actually was I was more interested. I was thinking, how did you how did you avoid <laughs> using Microsoft Word? And and it's like anything else. People can get by. They can figure it out. Whereas the next generation today, obviously, I see my own daughter and 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 son uh, using touch screens, and they know how to use the the all the controls and devices. And and so, do you think the next generation will not see it as magic, but just a a, a, a obvious rite of passage it's just a, a given i mean yes it's all relative i mean you know to your point i i have a, a rather senior friend who never learned how to use a mouse right and still doesn't know how to use a mouse interesting and he just happened to be a corporate executive that always had a secretary 
No kidding. Right? You know, or who always had people who did it for him. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Ted Rogers, you know, the the late Ted Rogers, one of the great uh, media barons and internet barons of the country, never used a computer. Really? Right? He wow. had people who read him, who printed up and read him emails. No kidding. And then he verbally responded to them and they typed down his emails to other people. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a lot of privilege and power. But to your point about young people, you know, I've spent a lot of time, uh, you know, quote unquote as a researcher, <laughs> but also just as someone who likes entertainment, I've spent a lot of time on TikTok lately. What's that? And uh, TikTok is the uh, fastest trending social media app. I mean, it was the most popular in 2019. It's the fastest growing. It's owned by a Chinese company, interestingly enough, huh. but it's it's the hip thing with the kids. Okay. Right? It's, it's, you... it's where all the young people are on social media now. And, and I say this to prove your point that what they're doing on TikTok is phenomenal. Really? Like this is the future of entertainment. This is this is like if you want to talk about who are the talented people that are gonna you know dominate Hollywood ten years from now, they're on TikTok today. What 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 is like, it? What, what do you do on TikTok? Is it you're, you're consuming... you make media, All right. right? So it's it's video driven, mm-hmm. but it's it's media of all sorts. So it's a lot of lip syncing, it's a lot of dance routines, mm-hmm. but it's also original content. Okay. Right. And and this might be creative storytelling. This might be comedy. This might be, you know, reality television, quote unquote. It includes some journalism. Like it's just like any other so like I I personally define social media as automated media production. That I remember back when producing television, producing video was costly mm-hmm. and really arduous. I remember even when producing radio was kind of costly and arduous. Right. Versus now, kids can make media with no effort whatsoever. And the stories that they're able to tell and the entertainment that they're able to create, it's, it's awe-inspiring. Okay. Because they're, they're able to, to both absorb the aesthetics of media production while using automated tools for media production mm-hmm. that allow them to churn out content and, and really phenomenal content at a scale that our generation is still just trying to figure out. So let me let, let me ask you a question that I know uh, my listeners will want me to ask, and that is, the, the 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 theory is is that young people today use well in TikTok or YouTube or any of these social media mediums um, to just put fluff out there, to put meaningless shit out there. So. Someone might be using TikTok to basically do a video every single day on how to apply makeup. And thus, many would say, just perpetuating the stereotypes that young women uh, create for themselves. So what do you say to that when, when, when many of these young people might be putting out what people would consider to be just fluff and stuff that's taking us away from the biggest problems we're facing in the world? Well, on on the one hand, every generation creates a lot of fluff. <laughs> True. So, yeah. you know, we can't really blame any for that. Secondly... There's a lot of guys using those makeup tutorials as well. So, mm. you know, we, we, we shouldn't stereotype in that regard. Fair enough. But I, I think amidst the fluff of any generation, there are always gems. There are always profound artists who change our perspectives, who, you know, advance social justice, who make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And 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 I I just have the relativity of recognizing that I always thought my generation had a lot of fluff. 
Right. But nonetheless, I still meet the Stuart Knights of the world and go, oh, my God, there really are great people out there. <laughs> You're the best. And so the, the same is true of any generation. That Yeah, on TikTok, there's a lot of nonsense. There's a lot of Kardashian crap. Right. But at the same time, amidst that, there is some just phenomenal stuff. Phenomenal young people doing phenomenal things that give me incredible – not hope is the wrong word because it's not hope. It's certainty. Okay. That – that that the future can be bright if we empower these people. So if we, you know, and and if if we uh, uh, demystify technology and help them recognize how to use these tools responsibly, mm-hmm. which you know, kids being kids, they don't always use it responsibly. Sure, right. They start sending pictures of themselves naked, and not realizing it's going to basically ruin their chance of getting any job in the future, or or bullying other people because right. they can. Right. right, which you know is just perpetuating the same BS that you know the previous generations did. So when it comes to technology and let's say people who are bullying each other or are taking you know sending out naked pictures of themselves, I find that like anything in society, we always try to find band aid solutions. So the idea would be, oh, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna invent in technology that uh, anybody using a phone under the age of eighteen recognizes that when a picture is naked, um, and it will not, it just automatically closes the, the phone down, right? And we'll say, wow, oh, perfect. We got a technological fix, and I've always said, and, and and I would like to know what your thoughts are on this. Do we then, as a society, need to stop coming up with band aid solutions for the misuse of technology and come back to those grassroots ways of really educating young people to? just have greater respect for themselves and to want to be good people and to not say bad things about other people like or or do you think that we should we should you know no and take advantage of the fact that we could use technology to stop kids from bullying as opposed to teaching them that bullying is bad so there's 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 two parallel tracks here on the one hand yes we should not be focusing on the symptoms when instead we should look at the cause mm-hmm. and and technology is almost always the symptom Right. And right. that it's it's usually social causes. And, and the great thing about technology is it makes it easier for us to see the symptoms. Mm. Right. Like bullying happened in our youth, but most people didn't start talking about it until they were adults. Right. Because that's how long it took them to process that trauma. Mm-hmm. Now, with technology, we're able to identify this behavior much quickly which certainly gives us the opportunity if we see past the symptoms to look at those causes. But on, on the flip side, you know, life is complicated. And, and the, tech, the mythology of technology lends us to generalization. It lends us to talking about a generation rather than recognizing that everyone within that generation is different and has different needs and different interests. But I feel in, in using the comparison of my youth to what's happening with kids today, especially when it comes to naked photos, is young people are raging hormones. Like the the, the you know the the desire to procreate amongst young people is so strong mm-hmm. that it is literally a force of nature. Right. And now what we do is we don't allow kids to be unsupervised. Right. Like we literally don't allow them to go out into the world and do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. When we were kids. We went out into the world and we had sex with each other. Right. Now, kids can't do that. So they send naked photos to each, to each other because they can't actually be naked with each other. Well, hold on. Why do you think they can't do that? Because they don't, they're not allowed to have unsupervised time. 
Well, but when you were kids, like still adults, parties and stuff, they could still kind of slip off into the you know someone's bedroom and do their thing. But the point is, they have to slip off. Like mm. I, I'm asking a straight up question, all the parents out there, why would you not allow your children to have safe safe sex in your house while you're there? But did you were you allowed to have safe sex in your house? Yeah, at, at 16. Yeah. Sure. I, I, I mean, my parents, my parents had a very strong harm reduction policy, right? If you want to have sex, if you want to do drugs, if you want to drink alcohol, do it here. Yeah. Where we can make sure that you do it safely, that we can make sure that you do it with people who are responsible mm-hmm. and that, you know, we recognize that we can't control you, but we want to make sure you're safe. And so I, we're going to. We're going to create an environment in which that happens. And I think that's the best way of doing it. That's the way I want to parent. Um, And I think that you would probably admit that you had very cool parents, very progressive, open-minded parents. My parents were pretty cool about, you know, a lot of these things. Um, uh, My mom was a bit more of a stickler, but my dad was, you know, the kind of guy that would be like, yeah, if you want to try these things, definitely try it and let me know and I'll, I'll, I'll walk you through it. But I think that you and I probably had a much different experience growing up than uh, other people who are. Yeah. Well, and and I think we should put a disclaimer out there for those who are listening. You know, Jesse and I are both in our forties. So if you're in your forties and you're thinking, holy crap, I grew up in the seventies and eighties and I did not have that kind of experience. Um, So, but I I bring this up though, because of your question about technology mm -hmm. in that, I I think, uh, I mean, and, and I'm going to phrase this in two ways. I'm going to phrase this in the mythology, and then I'm going to phrase this in the reality. Okay. So the mythology tells people you can use technology to spy on your kids. Mm-hmm. You can use technology to spy on your spouse. Mm-hmm. You can use technology to spy on your employees, and that it's all acceptable, right? And you know, parents do this via kids' phones. They, I, I'm increasingly seeing stories of parents installing hidden cameras in their house to spy on their kids. Right. Right. And and the technology industry sells this. The technology industry has huge marketing selling parents surveillance technology to keep their kids safe. Right. Right. To to protect their kids and and to do the right thing. And, mm-hmm. and that's all mythology. Right. Because the reality is that you're making it easier for predators to prey on your kids. Mm. You're making it easier for hackers to break into the cameras you've installed in your homes and start messing with your kids and start blackmailing your kids. Wow. Right. And and that's why it's scary. And, and that's why I'm afraid. That's why we should be worried. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to 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 your point. What people, what parents need to be doing is engaging in conversations with their kids. They need to be earning their kids' trust rather than turning to technology as a as a convenient or seductive way of trying to keep kids safe or control kids. When in fact, it comes back to old school conversations and trust. Right. Right. Yeah. I guess that's going to be always the route that we can always rely on. Okay. Let me let me flip it back to politics for a second because one thing that we now know is that politicians are using social media as almost their, it feels like, and maybe it is, their number one form of communication in trying to get those votes when running for yes. uh, any election. What do you think? Do you think that uh, technology has, it, it's a good thing for us in the sense that, you know, 50 years ago when we ha- when we used to have to vote, we have to kind of go down to the town hall, we'd have to listen to that person stand up and talk about the things that they're going to change and the, the policies they're going to, going to create. Um, is it better for us now as, as voters, or is it um, just a big mishmash of misinformation? So it could be better, but it's not. 
it is, you know, a, a swamp to use the president's phrase mm -hmm. or, you know, it is a morass of misinformation. It is we are in a post-truth society. You know, truth as we know it is not coming back. You know, truth still exists. And I think there is an opportunity to use technology to create the best democracy we've ever seen. I think it's possible to use technology to uh, uh, bring human contact back to politics, mm -hmm. to bring community back to politics, and, and for there to be a new class of politicians who are elected, you know, uh, because they have that contact, because they've earned that trust. And, and this is why I think that the, the politician of the future, and, and I don't mean the far future, I mean it could be a year from now, it could be five years from now, the politician of the future is a YouTuber. Because okay. when you look at YouTubers, you know, they, they are, are, are perfecting the skills that a politician needs far better than any politicians I know. Okay. Because not only are they amazing at spin, at propaganda, at, at telling stories and advancing policies, but they're also really good at getting their audience to like click the thumbs up button. Right. And subscribe and post a comment. And, you know, that's the same thing as getting someone to vote. And they're interactive in that they're communicating and engaging with their audience and their audience feels a sense of trust and, and feels a sense of engagement. So it's just a matter of, you know, a, a YouTuber figuring out that there's good reason for them to become an elected official as well, because it's not as if they'd have to give up their YouTube channel. Do you think so, that these people, we're, we're going to see a time when these individuals are going to start running for politics, uh, political positions, because they have those followings? Yes, and, and, and I think that they, they will do so because if they don't, the idiot politicians will, will legislate them out of business, right? The idiot mm -hmm. politicians will, will, will make what they're doing on YouTube to be illegal, so the, there, you know, there there will be fundamentally a time when the power of the YouTuber is tested, and the YouTuber decides to exercise that power by running successfully for public office. That's interesting. And and, and it's you know I, I'm using one example of the future politician, but to go back to your point about misinformation and disinformation and propaganda, I think there's ways to address that. I I, I think there's ways to fact check, you know, to crowdsource fact checking. I think there's ways in which people and communities can come together to hold accountable the both the politicians and the liars, you know, who are just spouting nonsense. But as it stands, the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Instagrams of the world, they profit from the propaganda. They they profit from the disinformation. They profit from the misinformation. So they don't really want to do anything to fix it. Because they make so much money from from the swamp, from the fact that it is such a a, a, a fog of confusion and fear. And, and so that's where I think there is a need for politics to step in, for public policy to step in, and for communities to come together and say, hey, we could use a better social media. You know, we could use a, a better public sphere when it comes to the combination of the digital and the town hall so that people really can air their grievances and talk about their priorities and figure out what we got to do about climate change, mm -hmm. you know, without all the BS and without all the lawyers and without all the, 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 the profiteers, as I like to think of the Facebook and Twitters 
in that their interest is not the common good. Their interest is their shareholders. So why and is it so hard for us, though, in a sense, like if you were to take 50 Jesse Hirsch's of the world, people who are definitely oh, is like, I don't even know. Are there 50 of you? There should be. A Look out. Like... Let's not put us in the same room. That's uh, the rickest of the ricks kind of Rick and Morty thing. There. This is where we have we need technology to keep you guys out of the same room. You can just kind of all Skype in. But um you take 50 Jesse Hirsch's, 50 people who do have a strong understanding of technology, innovation, AI, and all these different things, and those same people actually want to do um, well with respect to social good and changing the world and climate change and you name it. Um, why cannot we just create a Facebook that that is that is organic, that is um, it, that, not, that it does not focus only on shareholder profits? Why is that something that hasn't happened yet? So it is happening. It just doesn't have a marketing department. Okay. And, and and that is an interesting conversation unto itself. Right. That when these alternatives exist, how do they capture the public's attention so that they're not just theoretical alternatives, they're actual alternatives? Okay. And, you know, on a professional level, I, I take personal responsibility for this. So when I do my public speaking, you know, maybe 30% of my talk highlights alternatives. Okay. And, you know, I'm, I'm currently writing a daily newsletter and one out of five or one out of seven issues, I'm highlighting an alternative. Right. I'm just one of those Jessies out of the 50. Mm -hmm. But I, I, you know, where I feel it's part of my job as a professional communicator, as a storyteller to share the story of those alternatives so that more people can learn about them. Okay. And and I and I think if more people did that and and of course I have a very high level of technical expertise and literacy. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm able to do that. Right? Like I have the technical literacy to find these projects, understand these projects and elevate these projects. Right. But to your point, you know, I, I, uh, to bring it back to politics, if there were 50 Jesse Hirsch's in Canada or in Ontario, and if we and if it was relatively easy for us to form a political party so that we could then run for office and present alternatives for people to vote for, for us to form the government to uh, then make resources to actually make this stuff happen, that would be a democracy. Right. But it's actually really Im nearly impossible to create a new political party in Canada. Well, like I, you, I, yeah, you, there's all kinds of, you know, yeah, you have to reach a certain criteria. You have to have a certain number of votes. You have to have a certain amount of money. It's, it's also that the whole system is sla slanted towards incumbents. Like if you already are there, it's really easy to stay there. Right. And, and make sure that you're always there. Mm -hmm. So you you pretty much in English Canada, you pretty much have three choices. The NDP, the liberals or the conservatives. Mm hmm. Unless you're really, really crazy about the environment, and then you could try the Greens. Right. But they literally have no power. Sure. Right? And so, you know, in that sense, it's either go with the guys who you already think are corrupt, or just forget about it and sit it out and, you know, go live out in the woods and figure out your own plan B. <laughs> well, is this then where we can maybe have hope that technology is going to do the things that politicians just aren't going to do. I, I, I said it in, a, in an article not too long ago where I said, if, you ever, if you're going to rely on your politicians to change the world, you're going to be waiting forever. 
<laughs> they not only do they not have the motivation or inspiration to do so, um, simply because it doesn't make you popular to raise taxes and put those that that money toward you know things that we actually need. Um, it also just isn't good for your own bottom line, which is to get reelected, as you said. So, and then you take into account just the archaic uh, red tape system that uh, bureaucracy in the bureaucracy of of our political system. It's, I mean, just impossible almost to get any good idea forward without the other side trying to slow it down because it doesn't go along with what their uneducated voters believe in and on and on and on and on. So when we start looking at some of the big things that we know we want to change in the world, and maybe we can even use climate change as the most popular example of that, is it technology and is it people who are not politics in, in politics using technology are are they going to save the world no i mean the mythology of technology tells you yes mm -hmm. but and you know as a quick aside i agree 100 percent with everything you said about politicians and bureaucracy like you and i are absolutely on the same page there right so with that said if we are assuming that it'll just be technology, then what we are saying is it'll be a dictatorship. How, how so? Right? It'll, politicians, as flawed as they are, represent us. Mm -hmm. To remove that means that we are deferring to might is right, to mm -hmm. force, to power. And that's what technology is. Technology is the contemporary example of might is right. In fact, I often argue that artificial intelligence is neither artificial nor intelligent. It's just brute force. Okay. It's just using computational power to guess a question a hundred million times until you get the right answer. Right. That's brute force. That's might is right. Mm -hmm. So if we say technology is going to fix it, rather than saying democracy using technology will fix it, then we're removing democracy, i.e. popular control of society, to allow someone who controls the technology, let's call him Mark Zuckerberg, to be the dictator. And he's the one, as the expert, to decide how things should be fixed. But and I think, that, I think there's a growing amount of people who desire that. Okay. Right? And it is, it is because politics is broken mm -hmm. and politicians are idiots and they're corrupt and right. they're incompetent. Mm -hmm. Right. So we have every reason to be like, man, the system is screwed. We, we, we got to look elsewhere. Right. Versus I keep saying the system is screwed. We got to fix it. Okay. So you're and, more, you're more and, about and that. And technology, technology is how we can fix it. Okay, so I want to go down that path for a second because, and I want to get your comment on something I recently saw. So I was on Netflix, and some people have probably seen that documentary about uh, Bill Gates's brain and just how his brain works. And they they focus on him um, really wanting to do what he can to create uh, clean sanitation and clean uh, sewage systems for developing countries, and basically saying, you know, we need to eradicate children dying from diarrhea, that we should, that's, that should be an easy fix. So um, you may know this, but he created that 
competition where he put up quite a few million dollars and went to the brightest minds around the world and said, invent me a toilet and invent me a sewage system that can create its own energy that is clean, that is sustainable, and all these really great things. And they've now managed to do it. I think in uh, Dakar, they have uh, built a, uh, a waste management plant that uh, processes one-third of Dakar's waste, which is quite a bit considering the population of that city. So are we saying that because he's out there trying to take his fortune and hopefully do good things to stop children from dying and knowing that governments would take hundreds of years to be able to pull off what he's pulled off in, in, in just a few years, that's a dictatorship? So, yes, is the quick answer. Okay. You know, uh, dictatorships often do great things. Mm. Dictatorships make the trains run on time, right? There's lots of, you know, arguments that dictatorships use to justify the dictatorship. Should all of that, uh, what's the word, remedy have happened anyway? Yes, absolutely. You know, I mean... My initial thought when you were describing that was, you know, are do people know how Bill Gates made his money? Okay, what do you mean? Like he was one of the biggest crooks of all time. Well, yes, right. Like how the, he stole the U.S. Everything. Yeah, the U.S. government antitrust action against Microsoft took years, and you know the only reason it was resolved was because the internet kind of took over because Microsoft fell asleep at the switch. But historically, what they did was criminal. And, and what Bill Gates did to get that money was horrific. Right. Should we be rewarding people for doing immoral things just because after the fact they start doing good stuff? Right. Right. Instead, we should just take all his money and then spend it on all the good stuff. <laughs> Why should he be allowed to keep all that money? Right. You know, normally criminals aren't allowed to keep their loot. So the way that we so, take the money from a drug dealer, we should have taken the money away from him. Yes, from a monopolist from someone who breaks the law to gain market position, right, should be just as illegal as feeding kids crack cocaine. I agree. You know, and, and, and this, is, this is part of the problem with mythology, is that mythology leads us away from reality and allows us to pretend that, you know, Bill Gates made his money ethically, which he didn't, or that Microsoft, you know, didn't crush a hundred alternatives that could have allowed us to not even have had Facebook in the first place. Right. And, and, and this is, you know, again, why democracy is so important. It, it should never be about one person. It should be about everybody. And, and everybody should have an opportunity to participate. Everyone should have an opportunity to find meaning and to find purpose. And, and I think we, we lose sight of that. Now, the other, I heard a fascinating anecdote yesterday, which I, I want to share in context of Bill Gates' work, okay. which, which, which to me kind of sums up why we should be careful about looking to technology as, as the solution. And that, you know, when it comes to medicine, we all believe that the practice of medicine should be based on evidence, that, that there should be scientific and medical proof behind whatever it is the doctor chooses to do. But did you know that evidence-based medicine has led to a dramatic increase in fatalities as a result of medical procedures? Really? And it's because not every human is the same. Ah, right? right. Everyone's different. So yeah, 
the evidence might say that 80% of people respond well to this treatment. Mm -hmm. But it might also say that 2% die. Right, right. And if we don't allow the doctor to ignore the evidence and say, you know, maybe this person's in the 2%. And therefore, what works for the 60 or 80%, I shouldn't do with this person who's part of the 2%. Sure. But right now, doctors aren't allowed to do that. Right? They're, they're not allowed to think for themselves. They're not allowed to defy the evidence and say, I have my own reasons for wanting to try something different. So and then, the, the primary reason they're not allowed to do that is litigation and lawsuits and liability. Right. But my point being that everything isn't always exact, that, that humans are messy, that sometimes what technically makes sense for most people is lethal in someone else. And, and we're not always in a position to tell until it's too late. So in a sense, are you saying then that we who have bought into the grandeur of somebody who is like Bill Gates or a Mark Zuckerberg, and we think, wow, look what they've accomplished, and um, the, the PR campaign that we get on those people continuously tells us that they're not criminals, they're actually very, very good, upstanding citizens. And yet when they come up and they tell us, this is the toilet, that everybody in the developing world should be using and how quickly, because we do buy into the myth, we just say, oh, well, then that should be right. That sounds right. It's Bill Gates saying it. But in fact, that toilet, while it might be saving 100 lives, it might be killing 101. And, and further, Bill Gates should, you know, shut the F up and we should ask the people in Dakar, what kind of toilet would you guys like? <laughs> right. Right. We, we should take all the science around, you know, plumbing and uh, sanitation, bring those experts to Dakar and say, we got all this knowledge. What do you guys want to do? Want us to do with it? Right. And we've got all this money now because Bill Gates has said, I will I will fund it. That's yes. the right thing to do. But not just yes. go out there and say, I'm going to create my version of what I think is the best toilet and kind of shove it down your throats. Or, or more specifically, Jesse joins YouTube and then after a successful YouTube career gets elected to public office and then just taxes all of Bill Gates' money away <laughs> right. and then gives it to the plumbing and sanitation experts, makes them accessible to anyone in the world who wants them. And the Dakar says, hey, come over. We'll feed you some good food and then we'll talk about what to do with our shit. <laughs> right? right? That's democracy yeah. where the people in the community get to decide what happens in the community. Right. Rather than Bill Gates deciding what kind of toilet they get. That's interesting. So, And then that brings me to a question I did want to ask you today. Because I know we recently spoke about this. And we haven't gone down the rabbit hole too far on this. But the role that the 1% plays in all of this. So we know traditionally the 1%, it's always been their goal to essentially control the people in order to get more of what they want. And more riches and uh, more control and you name it. So... What do you see happening now with that ultra 1% or that 0.1% of individuals who are the rich, top richest, call it, I don't know, 1,000 people on planet Earth? Um, what are they doing with technology? Are they, are they trying to get ahead of the game and, and try to control that as much as they controlled everything else since the history of time? So on the one hand, <coughs> I, I think that the most important, the most pressing political issue of our moment is what do we do about the rich people? Really? And I say that just because of climate change. Mm -hmm. But to your point, yeah, absolutely, they own and control all the technology. 
Okay. And they're using the technology to not only create a surveillance state, which turns the world into a prison, but they're also using that technology to declare their independence from any government anywhere. What do you mean by that? Well, there is now already, you know, I, I, I personally don't prefer the, the 1% notion because personally, I think you and I are part of the 1% of professional speakers who absolutely rock the house 100% of the time. <laughs> Hell yeah. Right? So I'm, I'm not opposed to the idea of a 1% as a concept. Okay. But yes, to your point, there is a global elite that is so crazy rich that they've declared independence from the planet. Okay. Right? Like they literally don't belong. They don't have to belong to any country. They can own property anywhere they want in the world. Many of them own yachts that are able to go into international waters. Yeah. And these are also the same people who are funding the private space industry so that they could leave the planet if they need to. <laughs> and is that a serious thing? Are people actually, you know, maybe not this generation, but for their future generations saying, if all hell breaks loose, we're, we're setting up an opportunity for us to get the hell out of here? Like, is it serious? No. Do they believe it? Absolutely. Right. Okay. You know, like, I don't think it's viable, mm -hmm. but do they think it's viable? Yes. Are they putting obscene amounts of money towards it? Yes. Right. Right. Because I, I know that the, I've read many articles about, you know, the ultra rich who seem to be buying property in New Zealand uh, and, and, do and, and docking um, their yachts there. Uh, if there is ever a situation where all hell is going to break loose, like I just said, they have a place to go. Um, and they've chosen that as being you know, one of the most remote areas so that if, let's say, we're all at war with each other, that's the one best place that they've researched as being the spot that you can kind of stay away from it. I don't know. It sounds like that's the first place to nuke, isn't it? Well, now it is. Now that I've let, <laughs> let the cat out of the bag, <laughs> nobody used to know until I said it on this podcast. I, but, but to your point, you know, th there, there is a global class of super wealthy and the people who support them, right? Because mm -hmm. they have retinues, they have militia, they have people who, you know, share their agenda, if only because they're paid to do so. Uh -huh. and, 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 and those people have declared independence. Right. They, they do what they want when they want. And they don't believe that they should be accountable to anybody. Right. And and, you know, th that is the fundamental problem that governments around the world need to come to grips with mm -hmm. that, you know, as a society, we need to come to grips with as a democracy, we need to come to grips with. And I think climate change is the easiest example because we need this earth. We need a, a livable environment. Mm -hmm. But. Beyond that, I think technology is the other reason because they really are creating a, a, a prison industrial complex in which it turns every part of our lives into a, a surveilled prison, literally. Right. That, you know, to go back to where our conversation start of started is currently being beta tested on children. What's that? Right. The prison. Like if, oh, you if, mean, so, if, oh, the surveillance, yeah, being able to you know, watch yeah, everything they do, right. Most children are de facto prisoners. Right. Right? And, and if you look at the anthropological research around uh, children's relationship with technology, that their language is that they feel that they are prisoners. Interesting. Right? That they're constantly being controlled. They're constantly being monitored. You know, they're, they're constantly being prodded to do this, do that. You know, go to practice, do your homework, do whatever, you know, it, and at the same time, 
their culture their culture is telling them about freedom and their culture is telling them about individual empowerment and all this stuff. So they put two and two together and they figure out, hey, we're in a prison here. We're not allowed to do what we want or look how we want or, you know, wear the makeup we want or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's where I think we get a glimpse as to how technology is being used by the wealthy, by the super rich to protect themselves, to make it easier for them to keep getting richer. And part of that involves controlling the rest of us and manipulating us to buy things we don't really need. Why do you think that the rich are just so obsessed with this type of power and and wanting to control technology and wanting to survey us? Like, what is it about? Because I've always found myself thinking, gosh, like if I had a billion dollars in the bank, I would feel very secure. And I would feel like I could spread the wealth amongst many other people and never worry about whether or not I would ever have enough. Yeah, what, but what's wrong with these but people? I, 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 I'm skeptical as to that would be the case. I mean, knowing you, Stuart, if if you had a billion bucks, you would blow through that billion bucks helping people around the world so quickly that you'd be like, "Damn it, I need another billion bucks." <laughs> but I think that that's very kind of you. I'd spend it on most of you first, but um... I'm just saying, like, I, I do not doubt for a moment that you would use all of that money benevolently. But I'm just saying, like, you would go through it pretty quick. So that's and what they're the, concerned the nature, about? No, no, no. The nature of power is that it is seductive, that you can never have enough. Right. Right? That the more power you got, the more you want. And I say this from my own life, that I love being on stage. Mm-hmm. I love performing. I love the power that comes in having everyone's attention and sharing smart stuff with them. Okay. So. So I crave that more and more and more, like an mm-hmm. addict. But don't you think you would ever get to the case? So let's say that you, your, your average audience size is 500. And so maybe you think, oh, I'd like to have 1,000. So you start making that your norm. And yes, I see that even as a, as a performer like you who thinks, God, wouldn't it be great to get up and speak in front of an entire stadium of 60,000 people? But do you think it, you know, eventually, would it not ever seem like enough? Because I think to myself, after 60,000, I can't really see anybody at the back of, this, back of the room. So, Yeah, but what if technology allowed you to do that? Sure, yeah. I mean, right? I, I, and I, I just I say know. this, I say this as a broadcaster that, you know, I'd love to be Joe Rogan, mm-hmm. right? I'd love to have his show and have his reach. I would love to have a global television show that, you know, I, I'm just saying power is seductive. I like agree. my my ludicrous goal as a performer would be to have what like Celine Dion would have in Vegas. Right. Yeah. Like to just have a regular show that I get to do every day and people come from around the world to see me. That would be amazing. Yeah. And you're sold out three months in advance. Yeah. But, but that's that, but that's my point. That's power. Right. Like that's good. You can always think about more, but that's good power. Right. I mean, Celine Dion is entertaining people. She's singing songs that makes people happy. Yeah. Um, Look, good power it's all perspective good power bad power what i'm suggesting to bring it back to our conversation about the 0.001 percent or whatever i think that power should be limited like i think that as a society it is in our collective interest to make sure that not a single individual becomes too powerful than anyone else so i'm totally cool with people having a hundred million bucks Mm mm-hmm but let's make billionaires illegal. Right, yeah, I agree let's with that. Let's make it so that no one can have a billion bucks. And everyone always comes back, and I'm the, I'm the same way as you. I've always agreed. Like, 
No problem. Let people have a ridiculous amount of money that they could never spend in a lifetime. But let's limit it and, and, and just as a society agree that a billion is just so ridiculous that that money could be spent elsewhere. However, the big argument everyone always loves to make is like, oh, well, then you're, you know, you're an anti-capitalist. You, you're, you, you, you're, you're trying to put everyone else in prison. You're trying to you know, uh, stop people from being, uh, being able to exercise their own freedoms. What do you say to that? We're already in a prison. Am I suggesting that the billionaire should become part of the prison too? Okay. Right. That's fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, since we're all in it. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, I, my concern is not how to preserve the freedom of the few people who already have it. My concern is how do we expand that freedom to as many people as possible. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, right? I, I do agree with that. You know, and, and I am not, like, I feel that there are certain efficiencies that the free market affords that we should embrace and encourage. Right. Like there are lots of things about the free market that I think are very efficient and that are, are, are an important part of a thriving society. Right. But I also feel that we should make sure that everyone is looked after at a basic level. I agree. Right. So that's free health care. That's free education. That's affordable housing. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you still want to incentivize people to innovate, to hustle, to mm-hmm. do new things, to earn money. So that's why I'm totally cool with someone having like a hundred million bucks. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm using that figure arbitrarily because I think it's a ratio, right? Like okay. I think, you know, if the poorest people are earning a thousand dollars a year, then the richest people should be limited accordingly. I see. Right. Right. And you still want to have room for people to, you know, earn and be rewarded and feel as if they're doing better than others because of their hustle. But if it gets too extreme, the whole system breaks. Right. And then you're not incentivizing people to hustle. You're incentivizing them to steal Mm. because they recognize that the system's corrupt and there's no reason for them to play by the rules because the system's corrupt. Mm-hmm. So you might as well just rob the next guy. Right. Because that's what everyone else is doing. Sure. And they also and, want to keep everything they've got. You know, that's the other thing, too. Whatever you do, don't lose what you already have and don't put that money back into the system because there's that uh, fear of losing that power. Yeah. Versus I think there's ways in which we can incentivize and reward people for doing the right thing. Yeah. And we could, you know, again, instead of protecting the freedoms of the few, let's focus on how we can expand freedom for many. Yeah. Yeah. That's I couldn't agree with you more. Okay, let me ask you one last question before before we close off the show. So, everyone who's been listening to this, um I can't imagine anybody with any type of good conscience can listen to this and not agree with many of the points that you're making. So, I think that one thing that when it comes to technology, when it comes to the t- the things that we're talking about, a lot of people are going to ask themselves, well, what can I do? You know, how, what, what's something simple that I can start doing more often? Is it just educating myself? Do I need to like get off my phone? Well, if, to, if, to, to keep it on message, you know, and, and it's funny because you've asked me this question before and it, and it wasn't something I'd previously thought about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the, the top 10 event, you know, you, you were really sort of asking us, you know, what I, you, you sort of said, I want you to give the audience something to leave with. I wanted you to make them feel empowered and, and give them something that was within their means, like within their capacity that they can do to really feel they're making a difference. Right. And it's distrust technology. Right. Rather than trust technology, distrust it. OK. Be skeptical of it. Make it earn your trust. Right. 
to, you know, to use a, a Stuart Knight concept, engage the technology in a rigorous, deep conversation before you really decide to trust it and establish a bond with it. And would you say that there's technology out there that is worthy of your trust? Because I think a lot of people, they, they, they think about, oh, yeah, well, the, the terms and, and, and conditions of uh, things I say yes to when I sign up for a new Facebook account, I know that I'm signing my life away. Uh, are there other forms of, of technology that if you do have that rigorous conversation that, yes, you can come out of it and say this is worthy of my trust? Absolutely. And, and that was my point about alternatives. Although... It's all relative. Like, like trust is not uh, uh, on or off. Like, I trust someone or I don't trust someone. Mm -hmm. Trust is all contextual. It's all dependent. Like, do you trust your child to operate heavy machinery responsibly? Right. No. Yeah. But you still trust your child in other areas. Right. Right? So, you know, I don't trust Facebook a lot. Mm-hmm. There are certain things about Facebook I trust. Like, I trust that they're going to probably do the wrong thing all the time. <laughs> okay. But, right, and that's the point, is that it's not a, a binary. It's that in interrogating technology, in conversing with technology, in beginning with distrust, and then using that as the basis to decide how much trust you're going to offer, that's a far more healthier approach than treating it like it's magic and accepting it at face value and just trusting that it is what it says it is. Right. Or that it's going to do what it says it is. Or that your naked picture is safe on Snapchat because Snapchat is going to delete that naked picture, which it doesn't. Sure, right. Right? So, you know, it, it's, you know, the, the one thing I would leave people with is just distrust, disbelieve technology. Be like me, a technology heretic, <laughs> and practice technological heresy which is to just distrust all of it un until you've decided that it's worthy of your trust. <laughs> I love it. Well, perfect. Okay, so we'll end it there then. That That is uh, the, the the best spot I could have asked for to um, to get to. I was hoping that we'd finally get to your heresy, and uh, and we made it. We, we've arrived at, uh, at uh, the Jesse Hirsch heretic that uh, we all knew was in there. Um, Jesse, so before we take off, um, can you let everyone who's listening know about uh, the best places to kind of continue this conversation with you? One thing I do want you to tell them about is your uh, MetaViews blog uh, that you do because uh, I'm on it and it's a, it's a purchase that I have made that I am so glad that I did. So uh, tell people about that and, any, and anywhere else you want people to follow your work. So Meta, MetaViews is my think tank. You know, it's it's kind of a clubhouse for super smart people or at least people who want to be around super smart people. <laughs> and it, it's it's really it's it's kind of my mental gym. It's it's where I work out my ideas. It's where I share what I think is the best research in the world, uh, not just around technology, but around politics and society, because I, I very much believe that technology is useless unless it's part of politics and society. So that's a uh, MetaViews. Throw it in to Google and you should find it or metaviews.ca or metaviews.substack.com. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the best way to have this conversation with me is the best way to have a conversation with Stuart Knight, which is, you know, at an event, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you and I are both event professionals and, and I think where we thrive, where we uh, flourish are at events, and they could be small events, they could be informal events, they could be dinner parties. 
Uh, you and I have been doing it at Starbucks lately in terms <laughs> yeah. of just hanging out. But that, you know, as a technology person, I, I'm always straight up with people that you're not going to get the best of me via technology. Right. That, you know, technology is where you'll learn stuff from me. But if you want to get the best from me, it's in the flesh. Yeah. Because as a human being, that's where, you know, not only am, is my knowledge embodied and best understood, but that's where you have the opportunity to interact with me and ask questions and, mm -hmm. and, and, and really get at the types of things that matter to you rather than the stuff that matters to me, which may not matter to you. You know, unless we engage and converse and so on and so forth. So that that's, you know, why I love doing what it is that we do, because that's when you really have the profound impact on people, because that human contact, that human touch, to go back to your point about politics, is, is really what makes the world go round. You know, by making that announcement for people to come, you know, meet you in the flesh, you've just increased the number of stalkers you've had by at least 100%. <laughs> and the, well, the good thing is, is that you actually like those stalkers absolutely send me the naked photos I, i'm game <laughs> well listen just you, kidding <laughs> please don't yes he is kidding believe it or not the only ones he ever wants are ones of me and you know i just i've run out there's only so many poses a man can do although i do welcome naked photos of dogs oh yeah right because you know technically dogs don't wear clothes right and you know, yeah, the ones that they've, they've just come out of the pool. Those are the hottest yeah. ones. Yeah. Uh, um, folks, listen, if you're listening to this right now, uh, I will say, you know, the, I, I said to Jesse over a, a coffee in Starbucks about a week ago, I think it was, I, I asked him about that MetaViews newsletter that he sends out. And I said, there's no way you're writing that. I said, someone else is helping you. <laughs> He's like, no, man, I actually write it. He puts out an idea every day. And I'm pretty sure he's going to end up in the hospital soon. <laughs> but, but until that happens, I encourage you to, uh, to, to, to get on this mailing list. And um, it's a very small investment. And it's one that I'm really glad that I've made um, because it's just incredible the amount of content that he sends your way every single day. And you feel really do like you feel smarter every day because of it. So uh, I encourage you to get that and to, and to follow Jesse on Instagram. We'll make sure all those links are in the, uh, the bottom of this podcast. But uh, before we sign off, Jesse, man, like thank you for not being one of those guys who could use your intelligence and could use your understanding of technology in a way that so many have and that as is a way that, that is abusive to our society and and is only for individual gain and and i'm really glad that um you've really dedicated to your life to trying to inspire people to want to live better lives and to want to get engaged and to want to influence public policy and to as cliche as it sounds make the world a better place uh, by using technology. So thank you for being on the show and thank you for your passion for what you do. And I genuinely hope that those of you who are listening got a lot from this and that you continue the conversation with Jesse in the future. And until then, I'm going to say, uh, I'm trying to think of something funny to say from a technological perspective. I have nothing. I'm, I'm tapped. You beat me up, Scotty. There we go. Beat me up, Scotty. All right, brother. Thanks for being on the show. Take care, bud. Talk to you soon. The number you have dialed has been changed. The new number is. Thank you for tuning in to the Stuart Knight Show. We hope you have enjoyed this powerful conversation. People are fascinating, and so are you. And the right questions will prove it. We'll prove it. <laughs>